0: Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability.
1: We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we have woven an easy to digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process.
0: For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code The Good Dirt in our online marketplace. So use the code The Good Dirt, T H E G O O D D I R T, at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer Online Marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Fast Forward Productions. The
2: women are speaking. Calcium is in our bones and the same element is within the earth. And that same element is used to produce architectural products like drywall, concrete. And this connection between humans, architecture and the earth is what really excites me the
0: most. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts,
1: Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace.
0: We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want
1: to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers,
0: the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Um, Happy New Year 2024. Oh my gosh. Happy New Year. It's just amazing, isn't it? No words. I can't believe it. Anyways, so we're here. It's 2024. And I guess this is also exactly four years of the podcast because I remember working on the podcast November, December of 2019, and we, we really launched it and. I guess it was the end of January in 2020, but still exactly four years of the Good Dirt podcast, which is really cool. Oh my gosh. You're absolutely right. Four years, four years this
1: month. Wow. And gosh, we've learned so much. We've had so many incredible conversations. I'm just, I just feel so enriched by the whole thing and yeah, excited to keep going.
0: I wonder for anyone who has been with us not as long as four years, or who's just maybe tuning in, this is their first episode. Maybe we could do a little refresh introduction since it's a new year, anyways, and talk a little bit about ourselves. Okay, I think
1: that's a great idea.
0: Who are we? Well, I'm still figuring that one out, but if anyone has any ideas, I'm open. Just kidding. Okay, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. My name is Emma Palmer. I actually changed my name recently because I got married last year. So technically it's Emma Palmer. Although in Lady Farmer land, it's okay, I think, if I'm Emma Kingsley sometimes. So I'm Emma. I'm your daughter. I am in my early 30s. And I have been really interested in sustainable fashion since I found out that it wasn't even an issue or a thing, probably in my mid-20s. And I became really obsessed with the idea after I saw the true cost documentary in like 15-ish thereabouts and then had this idea to design my own sustainable clothing line and make a company and then I got you in on it and then we did it and that was Lady Farmer and since then I have not tired of learning about sustainable fashion and sustainable ways of being. I like farming and gardening, I like the ideas of those things. I'm not so much called to those things personally as I am to the sustainable fashion side of it and art and talking to people who who do those things. So that's kind of where, where I am, where I come to The Good Dirt, this podcast. Personally, I have a lot of interest in acting and singing and dancing and the performing arts. I've done all of those things a lot growing up and in my adulthood as well. And I also love writing. W-R-I-T-I-N-G. I don't love riding horses. Scare me. I have a really cute dog and I tutor. That's what I do for my bread and butter. I tutor children and I like to cook and I love to make this podcast with you, mother. Yes, we do have fun, don't we? we? Do have fun. <laughs> just fun. I enjoy it. Is that it. what they call it? Is that what they
1: call that? <laughs> yes, it, it just doesn't seem to get old. I'm just really still enjoying it very much. What about you, Mary Kingsley? Who are you? Yes. So I am, I am Mary Kingsley (laughs) and I live in a rural area in Maryland outside of Washington, DC.
0: Which is where I live. I guess I forgot to say that. I do live in the city.
1: Yes. You're an urban lady farmer. And so about the time you approached me about hey, let's do this thing. Let's start a company. Let's get into sustainable fashion. It really spoke to me because I had been living this lifestyle out here and was really interested in slow and sustainable living, living closer to the earth and the rhythms of nature and living into the seasons and all those wonderful things. And it all just sort of fit beautifully. And so I am in my late sixties, so I'm actually, you know, retirement age. What am I doing? Doing all of this? So I have a rule for myself that it needs to be fun. It needs to be invigorating, enlivening, interesting. It needs to be stretching my brain and expanding my horizons, or I won't be doing it because at my age, I don't feel like I I, I need a project that is not enlivening. I guess is the best word I can think of it. When I'm not working on this podcast or doing other things that we do through lady farmer and with lady farmer I just love to be outside and I love gardening I love cooking I love just doing all the daily things in a healthy holistic sustainable way and I'm always learning and I love teaching it and sharing it with other people and I really love having this platform to share and educate and inform and I live here with my husband your dad and Several animals, sheep, ponies, a dog, a cat. We used to have chickens. And and then I was house-sitting. Just kidding. Yeah, but that's okay. Come spring, we've got another flock on the way. Another one of my passions is riding and I have written a few books. I've written a couple of novels. I've written some short stories. I have written The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living, and I'm working on a couple more writing projects, which I hope to get really going on in 2024. So that's one of my new year goals is to do more writing. That's
0: all about me. So Lady Farmer. She's lots of fun, you guys, Mary Kingsley, if you haven't met her. So yeah, so that's us. And Lady Farmer, I guess, is the project, yes, that we started in 2016. And then the Good Dirt, this podcast, is a sub-project of the overall Lady Farmer project. So we're so happy to have you here. And however you found us in whatever capacity that you engage with the brand. We do have a website and an online store, an online marketplace. We do sell sustainable apparel and other things for the home. And we are like all of us in the constant process of figuring out more who we are and evolving and how we want to be in the world, both personally and as a company and as a podcast. So stay tuned, more where that's coming from. I think we should go ahead and get this conversation kicked off because this was a really cool conversation. And I was so happy this person reached out to us to be on the show. She sort of falls in the artist writer category. That also has the subject matter of a lot of other things we talk about that normally doesn't converge with the artist-writer stuff. So would you like to introduce
1: Corinne? Yes. Today we have Corinne Newville. She's an artist, designer, and environmental activist. She has a master's degree in architecture from the Art Institute of Chicago and a bachelor of design from the University of Minnesota. She's currently an architectural designer studying to become a licensed architect.
0: Corinne strives to utilize sustainable building practices in her professional projects, and she has a passion for creating artwork through the common materials used to construct her building projects. She believes in the use of our imagination to offer new solutions to problems, and her artwork is her voice to tell the story. Her drawings and passion for the environment are the catalysts that led to her writing. And her thought-provoking new book, Indiscernible
1: Elements, Calcium. Corinne uses detailed illustrations poetry, and dialogue to create a discussion around how humans can change the way they create the built environment to be more conscious of the wondrous systems at work in nature. If the same calcium in a femur bone can be used in concrete to build a cathedral, a house, a sidewalk, or can be recycled by a nearby plant or tree,
0: how can humans purposefully help that process along? Corinne's passion for the environment is the catalyst that led to her writing and her activism. We love the way Corinne weaves together science, art, design, nature, and metaphor, all elements of an inspired body of work that combine to inform this fascinating and thought-provoking conversation. So here's Corinne, new author of Indiscernible Elements, Calcium.
2: So my name is Corinne Newville. I live in Driggs, Idaho. And if you don't know where that is, it's on the other side of the Tetons from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I live what's considered on the backside of the Tetons. And it's where a lot of the working class of Jackson lives. And everyone drives over, I like to call it the hill, but it's a very scary pass, pass, to go to work. I'm currently a project manager for a development company and they work primarily on one development which is 44 townhomes and it's been a great year of doing this. I left, I went to school for architecture, I got my master's of architecture and I moved out here for architecture and I am in this role now and I'm loving it. During school is how I got into my book, Indiscernible Elements, Calcium. It started out as an architectural thesis. And then I graduated in 2020. It looked much different. It was just five drawings in the beginning of an exploration. And now three years later, it turned into the book that is out today.
1: Wow. So tell us about the book, Indiscernible Elements, Calcium. Someone might look at that title and say what is this
2: about so the word indiscernible means things you can't see so calcium is in our bones it's in our body other than just our bones and the same element is within the earth and that same element is used to produce architectural products like drywall concrete And for example, in your drywall, it's used as fire protection. So in your drywall, you have two layers of paper. And in between those papers, there is a powder. And if a fire were to break out, and as architects, we try to avoid this very much, but that powder turns into a vapor and that's what slows down the fires. So that's the same calcium that's within limestone. And that's the same calcium that's with in our teeth and our bones. And this connection between humans, architecture, and the earth is what really excites me the most. And I found a way to tell a story
1: through calcium. Fascinating. So... Can you describe, if there was one, some sort of aha moment or something when this connection sort of came to you and you thought, oh, I want to write about this? Is there anything you can pinpoint or was it more of a gradual thing?
2: Yes, there is an exact moment that I can remember. I was living in Chicago where I got my master's and I was about halfway through the semester and I was researching and I actually started learning about funeral practices and funeral home design is how this all began. And this exploration started in 2017. So this is about three years later and I'm doing my thesis and I'm just learning what happens when the deceased goes into the ground. During that time, I was learning and frustrated with the fact that funeral home design hasn't changed over many years. And then our practices also haven't changed. Since then there has been some updated versions. I have a favorite in Washington called Recompost. And they actually turn the deceased into soil. So then your family can take your soil and plant you into a tree or flowers or whatever you may choose. But that wasn't out yet when I was learning about this. And so I was really just trying to understand what happens to the deceased and what happens when our bodies break down. And bones are one of the last things to break down. So then I went into, well, what's in the bone? which led me to calcium. And then it was just like this, Oh my gosh, it's the same thing. Wow. <laughs> it was like two AM Ran to my partner you were sleeping and you're like, guess what? Guess what? i just figure it out. And that just is what initiated everything. I was just so excited after that. I was like, I have to tell this story. You know, we are all connected and it's really important to understand that.
0: Wow, that's
1: awesome. So I'm really fascinated by this and I have really been looking forward to talking to you because I've been thinking about calcium a whole lot lately because just about a month or so ago, I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And I'm in my sixties and I know this is a common thing, but I was really, really surprised about this because you know, I eat really, really well and I exercise and I live a real healthy outdoor life. And I just thought that wasn't gonna be a problem for me, but apparently it is. So I've been learning a lot. And the thing that has surprised me very much is you can't just take calcium or eat calcium, that the balance, the circumstances have to be really right in your body for your body really to be able to absorb it and strengthen your. Your bones. So there's yeah. a lot of factors that go in to your body really being able to use calcium efficiently. So I thought, wow, what an elusive thing this is. And so you say you had this aha moment, this realization that calcium links everything. And it's a common denominator for so much of life on earth and in our bodies. So I'm going to ask you a question. I don't really expect you to know the answer to it, but it's something I've been wondering. Then why is it so tricky? For our bodies to use it to keep us strong
2: and healthy and upright through our years? You're right. I don't know the exact answer. But from my understanding, if we're given a certain amount and then it's obtaining it. So, you know, calcium can be in charge of many things where, yes, it's in our teeth and our bones, but calcium is also in charge of helping our body signal different things to our brain like a cut if it needs to be you know your body's like oh we got to stop that bleeding calcium helps with signaling that and that's also what calcium does within soil for plants with sending signals if the plant needs water and the calcium helps bring up the water through you know the tree trunk to the leaves but from my understanding within our body yeah, you do need all of these other elements to work together. And it's more about an overall well-balanced diet than it is about consuming milk.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I would consider myself eating a very well-balanced diet all these years. And, you know, my doctor said, oh, you know, genetics plays a, a very big part in it. And, you know, your DNA, your ethnicity, all of those things are major role players in it. And since I've been looking into it so much more deeply, I realized, wow, it's really kind of a puzzle. And the balance of certain minerals and nutrients and everything has to be really a kind of the right environment for your body to utilize it efficiently. And to your point, we're given a certain amount and, you know, we're living
2: Longer. I imagine genetics have a lot to do with it and just through generations of us evolving. And also, isn't it more popular in women as well? Yes. Yes. Women,
1: it's Caucasian women. And I've always been a huge fan of walking. I mean, my entire adult life, I have taken long, long walks daily. I always thought, okay, I'm good because I bear my own body weight as mm-hmm. I'm walking. But apparently, the stress of your body weight, if you're a normal weight, is not enough to stimulate bone building. And I didn't, that was a big aha for me. Oh, it's not. Well, then I've got to really shift up my exercise, which I have been doing. But anyway, the whole subject of calcium has just been so huge in my mind the last several weeks. And I'm like, oh, isn't this something we have this interview?
0: (laughs) So, What's your relationship with calcium and like consuming it? Do you think about it as like food or? That's a really good question. So
2: I also am very familiar with having or figuring out and being sad about a health issue. So I have an esophagus disease and for short called ERE. And It's basically it's white blood cells that hang out in my throat. And when I eat certain foods, they attack it. So I'm allergic to dairy, gluten, soy, nuts, apples, pineapple, so many random things. So my way to make sure that I have vitamins is just taking vitamins and supplements because it is so hard for me to get everything in every day. Mm -hmm. But I've never thought about like, oh, I need to take calcium specifically because I also understand that it's more about everything else working out. And I like to do plotties because it's really light on your body. I only do it once a week though. I'm not crazy about it, but you know, biking and muscle building. And I just concentrate more on the bigger picture than just thinking about calcium.
1: Yeah, so you're young. You don't really have to worry too much about this yet because you're still, and I've learned this, you're still in the phase of life where you're either building bone or you're still like maintaining your maximum bone development, depending on exactly what age you are. There's a point in your life where you reach your maximum bone density and then your body kind of hangs on to, to that for a while and then at a certain point. Not sure when that is, but it starts declining. So that's the point in life when you r- really want to pay attention. And when I also learned that the walking doesn't build bone, and also learned that my second favorite form of exercise, biking, doesn't build bone either. What? Yeah, it is not bearing enough. And, you know, back in the day, you know, all their aerobics and stuff, it was like all about low impact because you didn't want to stress your joints. But now, okay, everything I'm reading and studying about about rebuilding bone is you want that high impact. Now, you know, if you already have osteoporosis like me, you don't want it too high impact because you might break something, So, you have to be careful. You have to talk to your doctor and tell them what you're doing and like get in the right zone of this. But bones actually need stress to build. And this is something I wish I'd known 20 years ago or had paid attention to. You know, when you're young, you think, oh, that's for later. Well, guess what? For me, later is now. And none of what I'm saying, I'm not a doctor. And so, you people out there, you know, if you're, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this or that's because of what Mary said on the good dirt. No, go to your doctor and discuss it because I'm not a doctor and I am on a learning curve myself about this, so that down the road I will still be strong and I'm confident and I'm told that I can rebuild my bone density, I can reverse osteoporosis and, and be in a safe zone. And my parents are both still living and in, in their later 90s, both of them, and they both have bone fractures that are profoundly affecting their quality of life at this stage. So, it's a very very serious and important thing.
2: That is the thing about bones is they're really strong, but they're brittle. They yeah. just snap and they get more brittle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I've been le- I've been learning so much. So, how would you say just sort of sort of pivoting a little bit in our discussion. What you had this realization about calcium. How did that enter into you're an artist you're an architect so how did this revelation about calcium start entering into that and being expressed
2: so i'm really within the architecture world i call it i kind of have two separate mindsets i have my artwork and i have my architectural designer work but they do cross over that's where my interest lies the most so because architecture is hard I feel like it's such a niche that people don't quite understand what architects do or what architects are in charge of. But artwork is a way to express that and show that that is more visible to people. So the thing with architecture is that, and construction in general, it emits approximately thirty-eight to forty percent of emissions, and is a large contribution to climate change and there is a lot that needs to be changed with it, but we just don't have the technology or we don't know what new material out there can can do the things we are already doing. And one of the biggest contributions to that is concrete cement, which is derived from calcium. And that is what gets me the most like God, kind of just frustrated because. Yes, I wrote this beautiful book about calcium, and calcium tells us a story of how we're all connected. But in no way is calcium the hero. Calcium, the products that it's used for are the worst products. The drywall, the cement, those particularly affect the earth the most. And what we now have to do as architectural designers and engineers and construction, we have to figure out a way to substitute it and for me why I love art is because that's a way to explore that you get to explore through different mediums like I made plaster sculptures and you start to think about well what else can this be and people are working on different solutions for concrete but we have not come up with something that is as strong yet. And that's the priority, is that concrete offers us strength. And we have yet to figure out a solution for that.
0: Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms, wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products, including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more, in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. I'm interested in you hearing your experience talking. About You said you're working for an architecture firm and you're working, building a, a townhouse development. And you said it'd been an awesome year for that. And you seem, for someone who's so in tune with issues around the environment and construction and all these things, I'm interested in your experience in working in like the commercial development world. And are you working with a really cool company or what kind of company are you working for and how does that feel and have you ever been made to feel like your work like for money is in competition with your own values? I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit.
2: Yes, my values are pushed against my employment quite often, especially here in Drake's Idaho where we need housing. We're always up against like, yes, we need to do these things, sustainability, but also people who really need a place to live right now. And unfortunately, the reality right now is that these sustainable products are more expensive than regular products, than non-sustainable products. When I first moved out here, I worked at an architectural firm that does high-end residential, and my values did not align with them. And so I quit and took this opportunity in this development to make as many small changes as I could like we put in a community area that has like a fire pit and all natural plants and anywhere that we don't have to have that green grass it's all natural plants and really trying to use sustainable products and by that i mean for example our siding it's more expensive but we used wood and that's because that is something that can be regrown that's better than using vinyl or some other form of siding. And overall, we're not quite there yet where this whole project is sustainable, but trying to put in little impacts here and there. And I hope one day that we can get fully there. We just, you know, it takes time, unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Do you find your employers and your customers ultimately receptive to this idea or are they more like, oh, we can't worry about that? Like you say, we've got to get these houses up so people can live in them. And that's pie in the sky. And how are people integrating these ideas that improvements need to be made in our building practices, in your experience, if at all?
2: Yeah, I'd say it's far from in between still. Like where I live, there are actually quite a bit of architectural firms because there's so much residential work here. And two of my favorites are Vera Iconica and Love Vera Iconica is located in Jackson, and they're all about wellness and design. So they're very particular what materials they're using within someone's home or commercial space. So they don't use any toxic materials. They're backed with research about what materials make humans happy mentally and physically. What's non-toxic for us? What materials stimulate happiness, which is, you know, wood and other natural organic materials that we can find in nature. And then the other one, Love Shack, is also a great firm and they do something a little different where it's more passive home design. So passive home design is specific to the client's site and it's designed Specifically around the sun, about naturally cooling the space, about making little tweaks in your space so that air can move better, or it's really well insulated. So that keeps the energy cost way down. Auto, I don't know for sure, but like 30 firms within the area, there's two that do this. But I can't say the same for in the city. I also live in an area where these things are valued, but these clients that they have also value those things and i think like vr iconica has been open since 2010 and they've been doing this since 2010 which i think speak very highly of them because they started doing this way long ago and they're still doing it so they did not exchange money for their values which is really amazing Do you think there's a growing demand
1: for it? Like, are people increasingly saying, I want to build a house that's not going
2: to be toxic? I think so. But those are the people that can afford it. And that's the problem is within this development, I talk to our real estate agent almost every day. And there's a third phase of this project. And I've been trying to make it sustainable. And her number one thing was, if it's not the same price, People are not gonna buy it. Everything is tied to that dollar sign. Isn't
0: that so bananas too? Because like everything else in this space seems like it should be less expensive to make things that are closer to the source of where they came from. You know, just it's just so crazy how the economy is like that. Why is finding whole healthy foods closer to the soil? So much more expensive than completely processed packaged foods. It's really messed up. I am curious about what's your like dream house? I guess my question being like, do you already live in it? Or do you think about like building a dream house? Or like, how would you, if Corinne got to like run the world and bake a new development, build a whole town, like what kinds of things would be included and what would that look like? So
2: personally, I love remodeling homes. I'd prefer a remodel over a new home. And that's just because of character and reusing. I know you guys had a podcast talking to some about recycling construction products. And that is very hard to just to point out. That's a lot of labor because people who take down those buildings have to be careful. And that's time. And labor is the most expensive thing. So that's why it's very difficult. But my husband and I love fixing homes up. So... During the pandemic, we saved two different homes from like mold and all these crazy things. Did you say mold? Oh, yeah. Like we worked with this woman who often had these houses that unfortunately people were hoarders in them. After they passed away, we would take out all their stuff. And under that stuff is nasty things that would ruin a home. So we would get rid of the mold and redo things that needs to be done in order for it to be safe again. But both of us love characteristics of remodeling a home. But if I can make a whole development like the way I want it, every house would be sustainable and each house would have so much daylight. I just love daylight so much. And Passive home design. We would have a community garden. We'd have an ice skating rink in the winter. So many activities and a safe place too. I dream about if younger adults have kids, there would be more of a generation in this development where parents could help these younger adults with their kids or
0: grandparents live there as well. You know, go
2: back to those village days.
0: Yeah. Are there places that you are aware of that exist currently that you're like, that's a cool development and they're doing things right? I kind of I kind of love following stuff. like th- I know of like a few off the top of my head, but I'm wondering if that's something that you follow and you are like, that would be cool. Are they doing things cool? Are there places that you know of?
2: I guess I don't know for a whole development that would be doing things completely different, unfortunately. I feel like the practices that I value are mostly seen in parks right now so there's this landscape architecture firm scape design and they do amazing things within their parks so like one of my favorite projects they did was in New York and because of the oyster population was going down. So they built all these dock systems that people can use and within the docks, there's food stands and, you know, a place to walk. But underneath those docks is all oyster habitat to help bring back the oysters and help nature. So it's designing with nature rather than against is what I value the most. And I think it's just people are still figuring out what that is.
0: How do we get that into
2: our everyday homes that we're building?
0: Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't realize that. I was actually just in New York recently. You mean like New York City, right? Mm -hmm. I was in Brooklyn visiting a friend and spent quite a bit of time in Brooklyn and New York, but not a lot of time on the waterfront, on the water. You know, you forget it's an island and, you know, Manhattan's an island, Long Island's an island. So you're in the islands. And I just hadn't spent too much time on the water and what we were trying to figure out, it was a gorgeous night and we were like, we didn't want to, you know, go to bed yet, but we also didn't want to like go somewhere. We were trying not to like be too city and she was like, wait a second, there's this bar on a boat parked at a dock It's like kind of below Dumbo. Brooklyn. And there was actually a bunch of docks and I'd never been down to that part. And each dock had its own like soccer field or park or something on top of it. I would expect there to be like more boats parked there, but I guess it's a different thing. But yeah, then the actual bar restaurant was like on an old like wooden schooner. I was just docked there and you just Mm -hmm. like went on and got a cocktail or whatever. No, it was really fun. But I imagine that's what you're talking about because they looked really pretty new. Like, I don't know if the docks themselves were actually Knew. Obviously, there's probably been docks there forever, but it looked like the park situation and like the public access kind of really intentional, like come play here seemed very recent. I'll have to look into that. But that's amazing if that was intentionally done for a safe harbor for oysters. I love that. Yeah. Or just plants. Yeah. Right. Obviously, the park part.
2: Yeah. Probably have habitats for plants that would come down underneath the dock. And that's really popular too on the Chicago River front as well. So there's most of the new docks that they put in are all about bringing back plants.
0: My husband, he's a civil engineer. He works in development. He's not a landscape designer or architect, but he does the stormwater management sort of before, or I guess they work together. I'm not sure exactly like what order that's in. So he designs like bioretention areas, which is something that I just didn't know about. To the last like five years or so. But now that I know about them and that I'm married to him, I hear about them a lot walking around. <laughs> it's actually amazing walking around a city or something like that with very intentional, not even a city, they're in the suburbs now too, intentional bioretention areas with certain plants planted. And sometimes when they're new, they can look a little awkward. Like they're obviously not there for full beauty purposes, but sometimes they are. Sometimes there's like, there's been a little bit more intention behind it. But I just say that to say, it's actually really encouraging and inspiring when you something you might walk past in the city, you're just like, oh, that's like a shrub, but actually it's there for a super specific reason. And it's being really, really helpful in a way that you might not know. So I have enjoyed kind of knowing more about that stuff and it's hopeful to me.
1: I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to circle back a little bit when you were you were talking about materials that are used in construction now that are less than ideal. And I want you to talk about that a little bit because I think not to be like, you know, scare people and say, oh, this is bad for the environment, blah, 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 so that everybody feels all hopeless all the time. Not that. But just to raise people's awareness of what we're dealing with in this world and how we can move forward just by knowing. So mm-hmm. you imagine concrete as being a big problem. Now, talk a little bit about that. Why is concrete something we wanna
2: improve upon? Let me put it that way. So it's okay. essentially the process, well, taking materials from the earth, right? That can't be regrown. So extracting things from the earth, like limestone and limestone was created by the ocean and limestone has bone fragments in it which is calcium but it's the process of turning that limestone into the material that we need it's that kiln process that's what really creates the most emissions and then yeah i think that sorry i think that's the most important part it would it be the
1: high heat causing the
2: emissions is that what it is yeah so for example for drywall Specifically, we take the limestone, we take a chunk of it and we put it in a kiln for three days at 900 degrees. So once when you're done with that, it turns into this block and it's essentially at that point chalk because chalk Mm. is also calcium. That block chalk, we'll call it, during that kiln process is what emits the most carbon. And then we take that chalk and this is now a different form of Calcium. This is our modified version of calcium that we use. Break it down, and we turn it into that powder that we put in between that drywall.
1: Okay. So from what you just said, I'm assuming that like this process, it's also its emissions, the high heat that causes some sort of air pollution. Basically, is that yeah? Yeah,
2: Yes, because limestone is its most powerful tool is bringing in and keeping in carbon. So. Once when you heat that up, all that carbon gets released. You know, if you go to Italy and you see all these beautiful buildings made from limestone and you see all that, like, well, I think it's beautiful, but that like dark looking duff that's on the outside of it, that's carbon being trapped. So in, in my book, from the perspective of calcium, that's calcium's favorite moment is being able to grow again from that carbon. You know, that's like life for calcium that's crystallization that beautiful capture of carbon and you need it there's different forms of it as well for example your paint there is a certain type of paint called lime wash it's very beautiful it rolls on to a wall just like paint it leaves a nice texture not quite like plaster but leaves a really beautiful organic looking texture and when it dries how it dries is it Sucks in the carbon from the room, in your wall, and that's what makes it solid. So these old buildings in
1: Italy are carbon sequestering. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they're actually, you know, like we talk about sequestering carbon in the good dirt all the time, and in the soil with plants. And so this is how it's sequestered in building. Yeah. And how can that be applied to things being built now?
2: Yeah, I think what's important to mention too is right now everyone's just trying different things. So I don't think anything has really stuck. But some things that I've read or seen is that we could build, we'll call it a monument. We could build a monument out of a product that would capture carbon. And then they talk about digging it back into the earth. Do we know what will happen once when it's back into the earth yet? I don't think we do. But it is talked about that these products would capture our carbon, especially like within cities. But yeah, there's not like a specific building product out there yet.
1: That's so fascinating. So we make a lot of bone broth around here because we make a lot of soup in. I'm always wondering, what do we do with the bones? If we bury them, will that help
2: sequester carbon? I think so. That calcium will go into the soil.
0: The soil takes that calcium and uses it for the plants around it. I'm glad you asked that because I always feel bad about, I mean, once you use the, but you can't, I mean, I can't compost it in my city compost. I'll put it in a bag and bring it to you, mom. I was just going to say that.
1: Well, (laughs) yeah. And I was just going to say the conventional composting advice is don't put bones in your compost. So we've always very diligently kind of left them out and they sit around and,
2: well, what are we going to do with them? I think that's fair, though. Yeah, not because, in compost
0: because it takes a long time.
2: Yeah, bones take the longest to break down. So for your compost bin, I, that makes sense to mm-hmm. not put them in there. Right, but we have
1: space because we live on some acreage. We could have a special place <laughs> away for bones from where the dog putting it. P-
0: <laughs> dog can dig them up. That's the a boneyard. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: a boneyard. This is so interesting. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. Well, you said something a minute ago, which captured my attention. You were talking as if you were speaking from the point of view of calcium. You said, this is the calcium's favorite thing. So is this what you do in your book? Do you take on calcium as almost like a persona?
2: Yes. Talk about that. At the beginning of the book, it starts out as me, the author, and those pages are white. And then it switches over into black pages with white line drawings. And During those pages, that's calcium. So Ray's book is from the perspective of calcium. And calcium is like, it wanted it to be like your old neighbor telling you a story. Very minimal words. And that's on purpose to get you to think and make connections and take time with the book. And I also suspected that calcium and humans would not speak the same language. I don't know what calcium speaks. So, I wanted it to just be like you're speaking to someone or something totally new. And this was the hardest part about the book. I had all the drawings done way before the words. And I was on a whitewater rafting trip down the Green River in Utah. It's like a 50 mile trip, it's over five days. And I just started writing at night with like no lights, just trying to get words out. That's when it came together. How would calcium talk to us? Calcium is this wise element that is just trying to convey how we're all connected and how it knows that it likes to be. It likes to be left alone. It wants to be a seashell. It wants to be coral. It wants, you know, to stay within limestone. That is so fascinating.
1: I really, really love the idea of these ancient elements that have been a part of the earth for more years than we can imagine, beyond our human imaginations probably. Having wisdom and having the desire to communicate. That's just an amazing idea. So, wow. Corinne, what does slow living mean to you?
2: I definitely learn more about that moving here. So, I moved from Chicago to Drake. So, Chicago has like 3.4 million, 3.7, something like that. My town has like 2,000. Wow. Yeah, there is no same day delivery. Yes. Yeah, low living to me, I feel like this past year I've actually turned on a new rate for myself of like realizing that your values are more important than your job and putting up that good fight and taking moments for yourself to realize what
0: you really want. Yeah. I think that's really important. Actually, it it sounds kind of like one thing. Like it's really important to know what you want. But I also have experienced that recently because I think what what you want is actually very wise because it's that part of us that is most connected to nature and our innermost needs and peace and all those things. So if everyone's in touch with what they want, I think the world would be, would be a better place. Not from a not in a way that's like I want more whatever. It's, it's not necessarily doesn't have to be a thing of excess because I think we create excess because we don't actually have what we want. I love that perspective. Interesting. Yeah. I think if our needs are met, if our wants are met, we don't need more. Generally, we always look for more when we're not satisfied. So I like that answer. I don't that's a new one. Getting in touch with what you want slow living. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it takes time. Yeah, it really does. You have to be really quiet and you have to be, you have to be able to filter all the inputs that we're surrounded by all the time because the brilliance of marketing in the world is we think we know what we want because people are really good at telling us what we want, but it may not actually be. what I was going to say, I think discernment is a, a
1: huge part of this that takes time and a certain amount of maturity and space, space, what you know. So that circles back around to slow living, you know, giving giving ourselves some space for this kind of discernment. And I want to repeat what you said. It's been a time of learning for you that your values are more important than your job. Is that what you said? I don't want to misquote you. Yes, I think that's really interesting. And for someone to be able to hold that up and see where there's conflict and see where there's uh, there's not conflict and make decisions
2: from that place. I mean, it's also important to remember too, like every day is not gonna feel that way. You're gonna lose some battles with your boss or with the design choice or whatever it may be, but it's about the bigger picture. But more about the life than just the day. That you're in.
1: Oh, I agree totally, and I also agree though that a huge part of that is bringing that to consciousness and just even being able to recognize when there's a conflict. That's even progress. Most mm-hmm. people are probably operating on a hugely unconscious as to what might be going on deep inside them that they're not even thinking about, and what kind of havoc that's wreaking on their well-being, happiness, sense of satisfaction, sense of purpose. You know what I mean? So even just recognizing it, like, oh, I don't like the way this is going. There's nothing I can do about this right now. I can do the best I can today, but moving on. Yeah, I completely get it.
2: Yeah, especially with this last year for me, when I quit my former job, I took this job as an opportunity to just have more space to figure this out as well because my last job was very demanding. And this job, I end at five and I get to go do my own thing. For me, that was a huge me and scary because I moved out. To Wyoming for a job that I ended up not liking. And it's just a process we well, living, we'll live in. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I want to say that I feel like your generation is way ahead of where my generation was at your age. And I guess I, I get to encounter a lot of really thoughtful, intentional younger people in this job on this podcast and with Lady Farmer. And it gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope that people like you are. are out there with your work, your artwork, your work in the world, and being intentional about what you're doing and what you're creating in your own life and ultimately what's going out there in the world. So I'm really hopeful for things when I see people like you and my daughter who I know is way further along than I was at her age. in, in terms of these kinds of considerations,
0: I have a really vivid memory, mom. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I have a very vivid memory of in real time watching you realize you like, didn't want to go get your nails done every week. Oh, and wow. it's really funny to think <laughs> That's that you, so funny. A, that there was a time when you were doing that. I guess I was old enough to be aware of like, oh yeah, mom goes, gets her nails done every week. And then being like, oh, I guess she doesn't get her nails done every week now. And then you kind of also processing it out loud, being like, I just, Don't wanna do that anymore. And yeah. And you're probably my age-ish. No, because you you know, you were my age, I guess, when you had me. So it's probably you're probably in your early forties. Which is just funny.
1: Well, as a point of correction, I don't think I ever got my nails done once. Maybe
0: it was once a month. I don't think you got your nails done regularly though. Well,
1: I might have done it sometimes. That was the tension for me That in, in, in that
0: culture. It was something you... had to you, do. Yeah, you get it done and then you-
1: Here's the idea. It was seen as self-care. If you didn't do this, then you were not taking good care of yourself. And the whole idea of the, a pedicure was the same thing. You need to go get a pedicure. You need to pamper yourself. Pamper yourself. Go get your nails done. Go get your feet done. And it was almost kind of a... It was a should you needed to look nice, you know? And so I did gradually realize I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't need to do this. I could pamper myself in other ways. Lots of other ways I can think I would rather do than go sit and have this done. And also I realized that I, at some point and people out there are going to gasp, but I don't like pedicures. I don't like people handling my feet. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Going back to what we were
1: talking about before,
0: like figuring out what you want and what you like.
1: It was really important. yeah. It took me a while to go. like I would sit there and kind of deal with the discomfort under the guise of I'm right. taking care of myself, and then finally at some point it dawns on me. But I don't enjoy this. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> That's how I feel about running. Yeah,
0: <laughs> another yeah. example. I hate running. <laughs> <laughs> you should do running. It's good for
1: you. Yeah. Ironically, though, I said that twenty and thirty years ago too. Oh, I hate running. I hate the impact and, like, of it and it everything. It and me, now, know.
0: well, there's just, other things you can do, Mom for you don't have you still don't Oh
1: absolutely it. but I think it's funny that no and I will not <laughs> run but it turns out that running the impact of running is builds bones and if I had enjoyed running in my 20s and 30s I might not be in this situation now but no, you don't have to run to have good bone density. There's so many other things you can do, which I'm learning about right now. Every day, I'm learning more and more. So it's a whole wide world out there bone building, guys. So, you know. <laughs> so Corinne, what does good dirt mean to you?
2: I was really prepared for this question, actually. I think good dirt to me, kind of goes along with slow living and just being honest and putting your best foot forward every day. I love that
1: what I'm hearing in that. You didn't use this word, but I'm hearing you use the word intention. Yeah. I yeah. like that so much. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. So if there's anything else you want to mention before we wrap up, feel free. I mean, we can jump around if you feel. If not, we like to ask what would you most like the audience to understand about the work that you do? Well, I'll relate it back to you in my book.
2: And the story of Calcium. And through calcium. Calcium also wants to recognize that we have been grieving our earth. We have been grieving the changes that are happening. We've been grieving that things might not go and probably won't go back to the way they were, but that's okay. That's okay to change the way we live. It's okay if the environment changes, but we're going to try to sustain it and make better choices. And the emotional roller coaster of the book, I based it off the grieving process. So you make something or a relationship or a person you move on from them and you go through this process of grieving where there's often like four stages, but you're sad, angry. And then there's this moment of relief. For me, I feel like I'm in the relief of, okay, things are changing. Will my kids have the same amount of snow in the future as we do now? It's hard to know, right? But what can we do now to at least sustain what we have? One of the most meaningful things I've heard in a long time,
1: because I feel like there's a level of grief that's really pervasive right now. And, you know, you hear talk of eco anxiety and eco stress, it's rarely framed as grief. But I think it's just so wise to call it that, like what it is. And like I said, I'm in my 60s. This is literally my seventh decade of loving nature and cultivating a close relationship with it. And so I'm really deeply aware of the changes. And I do feel like grief is a big part of it. And if we don't name it, then it works on us. It's there. It has an effect that we're not aware of. Yeah. So yes, let's recognize it as grief. We're sad. We're sad. I can remember growing up thinking in my little kid brain that no matter what, you could depend on on nature to do its thing. You could depend, you know, I grew up where there were four seasons. You could depend on winter to be winter and spring's always going to come and the daffodils are going to come up. And, you know... When school starts, it's going to get cold. It'll be time to wear knee socks. All these things that used to be just kind of reassuring to me as a, a young human. And I've witnessed those things changing over the decades. And yeah, it's grief. So you say you talk about relief. Is that relief from, from acceptance, do you think?
2: Yes. And something you said about the eco-anxiety, you know, I feel very privileged that I get to have that. I mean, there are so many people in the world that aren't thinking about the planet in a hundred years. They have to worry about today and making it through that. And so if you have space and capabilities to make this change and the privilege of being able to think about a hundred years from now, we need to do that. We need to work hard.
0: Yeah, it is true. It takes all of us doing what we need to meet our own needs. And that looks different for everyone. Thank you for saying that needed to
1: be said. And thank you for this really, really wonderful conversation. I have just really enjoyed it. It's been a lot to me and I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys.
2: Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you. You little awesome mother-daughter duo. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Love it. Thank you so much. We have fun. (laughs) Before we sign out,
1: Corinne, where can people find you and follow you and read more about your work? You can follow
2: me on Instagram at Cornville. It's K-O-R-N-V-I-L-L-E. It's my only platform that I put time and effort into. And they can find me at com. You can also buy my book through the Black Hat Press, which is a small publishing company within Minnesota, women owned. And I'm also on Amazon, too.
1: Great. Again, thank you so much for your time today and a great discussion. And we will be in touch with you and hope our
2: paths cross again sometime soon. Me, too. Thank you.
0: in calling in and spreading the good dirt we love hearing from you you can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950 that's 443-459-1950 you can find this number in our show notes and in our instagram profile this show is produced by lady farmer a slow living lifestyle community and the original music is composed and performed by john kingsley for more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at we are lady Farmer. That's we are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on the good dirt. Goodbye.